My name is Tim Park, and if you're visiting for the first time, a special welcome to our church. We trust that you will experience the warmth of Jesus in this place during your visit. Before we open God's word to the book of Philippians, I do want to uh, share, of course, by now we've all heard about the devastating fires in Hawaii, and in particular the devastation on the island of Maui. We as a church, we have the distinct opportunity to partner with Reach Global, which is the crisis response arm of our association, the Evangelical Free Church of America. Reach Global is mobilizing resources to help in the relief, short-term immediate relief, as well as long-term, because we know that the rebuilding will take many, many years. And so as a church family, Today and throughout this week and concluding next Sunday evening, you have the opportunity to give toward these relief efforts through Reach Global. And so at any time today, this week, or next Sunday, if you'd like to give, you can do so. Today, if you'd like to give, you can give in the offering box. On the envelope there, you can just mark Hawaii Fire Response. Or if you simply just write Hawaii, we'll know. And we'll make sure that this will be designated for Reach Global's crisis response team. If you'd like to go online to efreedb.org slash give, you can click on the Give to Missions portion. And then in the comments, you can write Hawaii, simply Hawaii. And we'll make sure all gifts donated or designated for the wildfire uh, relief funds, those will be sent to Reach Global on your behalf, on behalf of our church. And together, E-Free Church here in Diamond Bar, we're going to partner with Reach Global, who will then partner with the Hawaii District of the EFCA in providing the much-needed resources for many, many years to come. I'd like to bow and ask you to bow with me in a spirit of prayer. I'd like to lead us in praying for God's peace and comfort. So, Father, we pray for those who have lost loved ones, for those who have lost homes and businesses. Father, we pray for the body of Christ as we support them in practical ways through our prayers. Father, we pray for Reach Global as a partner with the Hawaii District of the EFCA. God, may your name be magnified even in the midst of the most devastating circumstances. We don't often understand why things happen, but we know, God, that you are sovereign and you care for the hurting. You're ready to bring comfort to those in need. And so would you do that? And would you do that swiftly, Lord? We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Next week, we conclude this current series through Philippians, 
living as gospel citizens. And for these last two messages, we're going to look at some very practical applications. Paul is going to give us one practical application after another. And the title of this morning's message is An Appeal for Harmony. An Appeal for Harmony. And today we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. And in our passage for today, Paul makes several appeals reminding the Philippians of just how important harmony is in the body of Christ. Now, think about the word harmony. That's a word that we know, we hear. But this week I decided I'm going to look up the formal official definition as described by dictionary.com. And so here's how dictionary.com defines harmony. Harmony, it's agreement, accord, a consistent, orderly, or pleasing arrangement of parts. When you hear a beautifully sung four-part harmony, doesn't it just sound so beautiful? When I was a teenager many years ago, growing up in the church where my dad was a senior pastor, I sang in the choir. Not the youth choir. I sang in the adult choir as a teenage high school student. Every Sunday, I would gather in the worship center and I would be part of the choir. That means I wore a choir robe. That's right. That's right. So every Sunday I would put on a choir robe and along with all the other choir members, we'd take our place in the pews on stage looking out at everybody else. And I would see the backside of my dad, you know, as he's preaching and I'd be back there and we'd wait for our turn. And when it was our turn, we'd all stand up in unison at the direction of the choir director. We'd all stand up and in unison we'd open up our choir folder, and then we would sing our hearts out every Sunday. Now, every Sunday or every week leading up to that particular Sunday, we'd have rehearsals. And during rehearsals, we'd learn all four parts. And guess what part I sang? I sang bass, believe it or not. I sang bass. <laughs> I sang bass back then. And so we would learn all our parts and in rehearsal, you know, we'd learn new songs. And so it would take a long time to learn all of our parts. And so there we were in rehearsal. And every now and then when someone didn't quite hit that note, we'd like, ooh, let's try that again. But we'd rehearse over and over and over until we all hit our parts. And it sounded beautiful. A four-part harmony sounds beautiful. It demonstrates that you are all in accord. The Apostle Paul made an appeal for harmony in the Philippian church. And he made many, many appeals that you'll see here in today's passage. God's desire is for harmony in every church. In our church and every church that calls the name of Jesus. And so today, we're going to look specifically at four appeals that Paul makes to the Philippian church and that God 
is giving to us, E-Free Church here in Diamond Bar in the 21st century. So I begin with the first appeal, and that's this. Live in harmony as gospel citizens. That's Paul's first appeal. Live in harmony as gospel citizens. And Paul does something in the opening verses of today's passage that he rarely ever did in his letters, okay? He's going to call out two church members by name. By name, he's going to call them out. Now, you know, in Paul's letters, he would often name names, but usually it was in the form of greeting. Oh, greet so-and-so, or so-and-so greets you. But in today's passage, Paul's going to call out the names of two individuals who were in conflict with each other. Wow. So let's get ready. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Paul says, I plead with Eodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, this is bold of Paul to do. He calls out these two women by name, but it's okay because by the time word got to Paul, it was already public knowledge. He wasn't telling them something that they did not already know. The entire church knew that these two women had a falling out of sorts. We don't know what the conflict was, and maybe that's purposeful for us not to know. We do know this, these two faithful women, they were committed to the same church. These two women, they loved Jesus. And these two women, they partnered along Paul's side. But somewhere along the way, they were at odds with each other. And this rift between these two church members, it began to negatively affect the entire Church. If you recall, early in our series, we said that the Philippian church was a small church, a tiny church, in fact. It was not this huge church where you could just kind of come and no one would know you and then you could just go home. It was such a small church that you could not hide in the corner because someone would go to the corner and pull you back out. It was that intimate. And so by the time word got to Paul, the entire church was being negatively affected by this conflict between these two church members. And so Paul calls upon a fellow member of the church, unnamed. We don't know who that person was, but he says, hey, fellow companion, help these two faithful church members to get along. And this is a good reminder for us today. Did you know that the actions between two individuals in a church, oftentimes they don't just stay within those two individuals. There are ripple effects. And the words we say and how we convey them, they can make a lasting impact church-wide, both good and bad. And it's important to note that when Paul exhorted these two members to get along, here's what he was not telling them to do. He wasn't saying, hey, ladies, just sweep things under the rug. 
Don't talk about it. Just ignore it, and it'll go away. That is not what Paul had in mind. We just can't ignore things away. That's not harmony. That's just denial. And God doesn't call us to live in denial. And so Paul is going to tell us, you know what, there are proper steps to take. There's reconciliation that is needed. Maybe in this case, one of them was at fault. Maybe they were both at fault. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. We just don't know. All we know is there was a rift and it was impacting the church negatively. So Paul calls out these women because these were his friends. And he says, it's time. It's time to live in harmony. God doesn't want a church full of conflicted people just walking around the patio, ignoring each other in denial. God doesn't want that. And so Paul's first appeal is to live in harmony as gospel citizens. Here's the second appeal. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, the Greek word for gentleness, it's a difficult word to translate into English. And because of that, it's tempting to view gentleness from our own cultural perspective. And allow me to explain what I mean by that. When it comes to leadership or positions of prominence, people often want strong, bold, assertive, confident people in those positions. And they'll often justify and excuse brash and arrogant behavior. As long as the job gets done, that's all that matters. Let's see what the Word of God says about that. Look at verses 4 and 5. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know, characteristics like gentle and weak, they are often considered weak in our society, right? Oh, gentle and meek. That's so weak. Nothing could be further from the truth, especially when it comes to Jesus. Jesus was gentle and meek, but he certainly was not weak. Did you know that true gentleness requires great strength? Did you know that true gentleness requires great self-control? Here's the thing about gentleness. Gentleness comes from a place of humility. You don't have gentleness without humility. Earlier in our series, we looked at the humility of Jesus in chapter 2. Here's what happens when we lack gentleness. When you and I lack gentleness, we become easily angered and we have thoughts of revenge, retaliation, or at the very least, evening the score. When we lack gentleness, we just want to even the score. I don't even need to get ahead. I just want to even the score. 
And let's end in a tie. That comes from a spirit that is not gentle. When we come from a spirit of gentleness, we desire no revenge, no retaliation, and it doesn't matter if the other person or the other side runs up the score, we don't ever have to catch up. That comes from a spirit of gentleness and humility. Now, this does not mean that we sacrifice truth. Gentleness does not sacrifice truth. Jesus never sacrificed truth, and yet he was gentle. Here's the thing about being gentle. The gentle know when to stay silent, which, by the way, is most of the time. And the gentle know when to speak. And when the gentle speak, they know how to respond. We never sacrifice truth. But when we speak, we speak with the gentleness of what God desires for us. And when God's standards are violated, we know how to respond. In Galatians chapter 6, this is what it says in verses 1 and 2. Paul says to the Galatian church, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Did you know that when a fellow member in the body of Christ sins, it is our responsibility to carry that burden and provide an opportunity for that person to be restored. That's why it says, carry each other's burdens. The word burdens there, oftentimes people think, well, you know, we just want to help each other out in everyday matters, and that's okay. But the word burden there specifically refers to the sins of a fellow member in the body of Christ. And so we are called to carry, bear, share the burden of sin. And that is a serious responsibility. By the way, as I just mentioned a second ago, the gentle, they know when to stay silent, which is most of the time. And then they know when to speak. And when they speak, they speak with a proper response. Sometimes, in this day and age, especially with all the opportunities for us to, to voice our opinions, whether it be verbally or the written word through a social media post, today in our society, because we have so many opportunities, oftentimes those who name the name of Jesus put things out there in what I call the form of a throwing grenades. You throw grenades out there. Let's say on social media, sometimes Christians will throw a grenade to get something off their chest or because they're upset about something and the tone is anything but Christ-like. Now, maybe they're frustrated by something. Maybe uh, they're frustrated about what's happening 
around them. Maybe they think that it is their God-given duty to tell those who don't hold their views, you need to hold my views. And what this often does is this puts people further and further away, those who don't hold your views. And then all it does is it brings the echo chambers closer together. And only those who agree with you will pat you on the back or click the thumbs up or the heart emoji. And oftentimes, we're giving out these, throwing out these grenades, not because we want to be Christ-like, but because we are frustrated by what we see. And what happens is emotions rule in those situations. And that's why the silent or the gentle, they know when to stay silent. And again, that's most of the time. And when we speak, we speak properly with the way God would want us to. And so we are called to let our gentleness be evident to all in the body of Christ and to those who do not know Jesus, to all. Here's a third appeal that Paul makes. Let the peace of God replace anxiety through prayer. Let the peace of God replace anxiety through prayer. Did you know that apprehension and fear and anxiety, those are the marks of the lives who do not know Jesus Christ? Do you know why? Because the present is all they have. Let's think about this. If a person does not know Jesus Christ, and if a person has no understanding of life after physical death, then the present is all they have. So it makes sense that they worry about the future. It makes sense that they are nervous about the unknown because the present is all they can see. There's nothing for them down the road. But let's see what the Word of God says about circumstances. Verse 6, Paul continues and says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, will transcend, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know this third appeal? It could be an entire message in and of itself. In fact, it could be an entire series. We could have an entire series on the subject of prayer. In fact, we could go an entire lifetime and not really fully understand the mystery of prayer. But for our purposes today, and this third appeal, I simply want us to consider two important questions. I want you to ask yourself two important questions. And here are the questions. Can prayer change God's mind? Think about that question. Can prayer change God's mind? And the second question is this. Can prayer change circumstances? So the first question is, can prayer change God's mind? The second question is, can prayer change circumstances? The answer to that first question, can prayer change God's mind, is no. 
prayer does not change God's mind. You see, in order for God to change his mind, he would have to improve upon himself. And he can't improve upon himself. He's God. So don't think that when we ask God for something, that we are improving his plan. Because he, uh, you know, his initial plan was not the best. And so we're uh, kind of urging him to change his plan. So God doesn't say to me, Tim, thank you for your prayer. I didn't think about that. Tim, I like your idea. It's really good. I like it better than mine. I'm going to change my plan. Of course not. Our prayers will never change God's plans because his plans are already perfect. He knows all things. He is sovereign. So, church, if prayer can't change God's mind, then why do we pray? Well, that brings us to the second question. Can prayer change circumstances? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Did you know that God delights in changing our circumstances in response to our prayers of faith? Did you know that? Did you know that? If you know that, nod. Did you know that God delights when his children come to him in prayer, praying prayers of faith, and he delights in changing circumstances? That's not me trying to convince you. The Word of God says it. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Can I hear an amen to that? And the key phrase there, of course, is according to his will, which also includes according to his timing. Just because God can change our circumstances doesn't mean he always will. And not always at our timing. In fact, it might take years and 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 years. But his timing is always perfect. You know, God knows that we don't always understand his timing. But he wants us to trust in him and not doubt I like what one commentator says. I'm going to say this twice for those of you who would like to jot this down. He says this. Our prayers help to align our hearts with his heart so that his will is our highest goal. Again, our prayers help to align our hearts with his heart, so that his will is our highest goal. Are you anxious about something today? And are you praying about that today? Are you praying about a decision that could alter your life or your family's life in some significant way? 
I'm certain some of you are praying about that, about a decision you need to make that is going to alter your life in some way. Are some of you praying for finances right now? Okay. Certainly, there are many of you. By the way, if you're praying for the lottery, that doesn't count, okay? <laughs> but many of you are praying that God would provide so you can pay bills. Are you praying about a serious health concern? Maybe you have an upcoming surgery. Maybe a loved one has an upcoming surgery. Are you praying about a difficult conversation you have to have with someone? Are you praying about how to care for those loved ones who cannot care for themselves? Certainly, we have many in that situation. Are you praying about your child, your sibling, your parent? The Word of God says, let the peace of God replace anxiety as we present our requests to God. And I want to encourage you with these words here. If someone reaches out to you asking you to pray, no matter how significant or insignificant, no matter how big or how small that prayer request might seem to you, if that person reached out to you, just know it is big enough for that person to call upon you to pray. And in many of those cases, it's because that person is experiencing anxiety. And I don't know about you, but when I'm facing anxiety in my life in some way, to the point where I reach out to somebody and say, hey, can you pray for me in this area? The moment I reach out to someone and I know that that person's praying for me, that assurance alone brings peace. That someone is praying for you, that we are not in it alone. So the next time someone says, can you pray for me, no matter how insignificant it might be in your eyes, it could be the biggest thing in that person's life. Let the peace of God dwell and replace anxiety through prayer. And, and this third appeal, it leads directly into the fourth and final appeal. And that's this. Let your mind dwell on the goodness of God. Let your mind dwell on the goodness of God. Did you know that everything begins in the mind. Everything begins in the mind. In fact, if you do an online search and you type in the words, everything begins in the mind, in your search engine, like I did this past week, you will see countless results, article after article, book after book, resource after resource about the mind. And that it's universally understood that everything begins in the mind. But here's the thing about most of those articles, most of those books, most of those resources and conferences. 
and seminars. Most of those resources are coming from a place that tells you to tap into your inner self and rely upon your own power to overcome these things as if you and I were sovereign beings. Now, if you've been here at our church for many months, you've heard me use that term sovereign being before. You know, there are many people today who believe that we are all sovereign beings. What that means is that I'm the captain of my own ship. The buck stops here. There's no one else beyond me. I make all the rules because there is no God. And that is much of the world that believes that we are all sovereign beings. Now, if we come from that place and that perspective, here's what happens. Who decides what is right or wrong? Certainly not you, and not you, and not you, and not you. It's me. And you would say the same thing about me. It's not me. You see, if we come a place, if we come from a place where we think we are all sovereign beings, everything becomes relative. And no one can tell what the good is and what the bad is. But thankfully, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that we are not sovereign beings. We are created beings created by the sovereign creator himself. And so therefore, we are called to dwell on those things that he deems good. Let's look at the final two verses in today's passage. And here's what our creator deems good. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. It is good, church, to fill our minds with the goodness of God, isn't it? It is good. Have you ever had a loved one who was hospitalized? Maybe that person was in the hospital for a number of days. Maybe you yourself were in the hospital. Even if it was just one or two days, or maybe it was weeks, it's no surprise that one of the most comforting things a person in a hospital bed can experience is the reading of God's word. So if you ever visit someone in the hospital and you think, I don't know what to say. What do I say? Don't say anything. Just read. Just take the Bible and just read one passage after another. And even if that person lying in bed cannot respond to you, please know that it is quite possible that that person hears the word of God. Thankfully, today in our society, with all our technology, we can go anywhere in the world and we have the word of God at our fingertips. So if you're getting ready in the morning to go to work or go to school, you can just listen to the Bible. On the road, you'll have many minutes to listen to the Bible. When you're walking 
Maybe you're walking your dog, you can listen to the Bible. Working out, listen to the Bible. Anywhere we are, we have the Bible, the Word of God, at our fingertips. And by the way, God's goodness can be seen everywhere, even outside the Bible as well. We thank God that we have his written word. We also find beauty in his creation. Did you know that it is good to go to the beach, to go to the mountains, to go to the deserts, to experience the goodness of God? Right? Because whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, okay, go to the beach, go to the mountains, go to the deserts, enjoy the beauty of God. It is good to read a spiritually stimulating book to get deeper into the nature of God. It is good. It is good to listen to enriching music that stirs the soul. It is good. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Dwell on those things because why? Everything begins where? In the mind. Everything flows from the mind. And the more we dwell on God's goodness, the more we will love him. The more we dwell on God's goodness, the more we will love one another. And the more we dwell on God's goodness, the more we will be passionate about sharing that love with others. You can never spend too much time dwelling on God's goodness. The more time we spend dwelling on God's goodness, the less time we have to spend time doing all the other things that are not good. Each week I've been giving you an assignment for the coming week. Here's your assignment for this week. Every morning when you wake up and... You're about ready to get out of bed. Just sit at the edge of your bed for just, this week, only five seconds, all right? You got it easy. Last week, I said, take 30 seconds. I've shaved 25 seconds off your assignment. Okay, so this week, when you get out of bed, just wait. Just swing your legs over to the edge of the bed. Sit for five seconds and remind yourself everything begins in the mind. And I trust when we say that, that'll lead us to dwell in God's goodness. That's my encouragement. That's my prayer for myself and for all of you. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. You are such a good God. Oh, you are such a good God. You are a good God. Help us not to forget that. Help us not to get lost in our circumstances. Help us to dwell on your goodness. To help us through our circumstances. Help us to live in harmony with one another as gospel citizens. Help us to understand and remind ourselves that everything begins in the mind this week so that we would dwell on your goodness. As we do so, we will love you more. We will love one another more.
And we will desire to share that love with others that much more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.